Welcome to the Conduit Deeper podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to the Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, Executive Pastor at Conduit Church, joined with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler. And it's a couple special guests. We have Patricia Heaton with us this evening, actress and advocate for, yes, give her a hand. Advocate for the Jewish people and for Israel. We're going to hear more from her in a moment. And our new friend, Uzi, who has quite the story to tell. We're excited to dive in this evening. Yeah, thank you for being with us tonight. Obviously, we didn't advertise this big because, well, safety for one reason. Uh, and we, I don't think we could have contained everybody that wanted to be here. But for those that are here, thank you for being here. Thank you for, this is a little bit different than our normal. It's our first time to actually do this live. Um, but, it's, uh, but it's an honor. And obviously, I mean, Patricia, thank you for being here. Uzi, you know, we just came back from Israel, saw firsthand what your family experience. But, but, but Patricia, one of the questions that I think every, on everybody's mind, okay, so you're like this beloved TV character, um, but suddenly you're an advocate for Israel, which is not without risk, right, in your uh, industry. W- what in the world are you thinking? Um, no, I was, oh, sorry. <clears throat> We're broadcasting. I'm a, what a professional I am. <laughs> Uh, when October 7th happened, a lot of the footage got out quickly before they started taking it down. And so we all, anybody who was paying attention, got to see some horrifying things. And I thought to myself, and I put this on my Instagram, and I said, if you, did you ever have the thought that, gee, if I were a German during World War II, I hope I would have been that German that hid my Jewish neighbors or that protected my Jewish neighbors. Well, today is that day for us. Today is the day you find out what kind of German you would have been. And I listed a number of organizations on my Instagram account that you could donate to, whether it was the IDF or the ambulance service or the the therapy services. And then I said, if you don't have the money to do that, just call or text your Jewish friends and see how they're doing. And I was doing that myself, and I was so surprised at how much it meant to my Jewish friends to, to say something, to reach out to, I mean, I even reached out to my plastic surgeons who are all Jewish, and, and just said, you know, how are you doing? I'm seeing what's happening, and I just wanted a call to see how you're doing. And, you know, it was astonishing how much they needed to hear from people outside of the Jewish community, and they needed to hear that other people were going to rally around them and protect them. And I think it's so important because the Jewish people are known for really rooting for the underdog and really helping others in need. The Jewish community is extremely generous. And I think to their horror, they seem to have found out that no one is here for them in their time of need. The people they thought that they could count on, the people they thought that they always supported, they looked behind them and they weren't there. And so um, that just, my heart, really broke. And I happened to have a friend, Elizabeth, who is um, very passionate about the same thing. And she's also an extremely organized person and a high achiever. And um, because, of course, she's a mom and she used to be an event planner. And now she's planning this organization that we've put together. So I guess we'll talk about that in a bit. But that's what started it for me. And so the cost of that for you personally has been what? Well, on the one hand, um, it's been kind of uh, great to know that their people appreciate what you're doing and and will come along beside you and appreciate it. Um, I just had a conversation, and I introduced it really carefully, just said, oh, I'm doing some work with 
Jewish people in Nashville and Israel. And it ended up with that person <laughs> just sort of really going after me, not wanting to have a conversation, but wanting to berate me. And one of the final things this person said was, I think they're overdoing the whole October 7th thing. And I was speechless. I didn't know what to say. This is a very educated person. And that's what we're up against. And um, so, uh, but you know, every day Elizabeth and I talk about this. She sends me a, a number of texts every morning between 4.30 and 6 every morning <laughs> and about what we're doing. And every day we just say, whatever happens, we need to just get up every day and stand. And at the end of it, you just stand, and you stand, and, and Jesus is calling us to stand, and so that's what we do, and then he sends along the things we need to do for that day, and so that's what we're doing, and he, it's all in his hands, so that, that makes everything easier. Well, for me, and I think for my church family as well, like knowing that there's other voices out there, uh, it's less lonely for us, so I'm thankful for... Uh, what I love is when you see like an actress or comedian or like that has the courage that a pastor should have. And it's a challenge for me that if like what you guys do, if you're that courageous, how could I not be right? And so, but it's inspiring because there is a potential cost for it and it's, it's worth it. At the end of the day, the truth is worth whatever price is going to be required of it. And Uzi, you have joined us. Uzi is a Nashville. After 10 years, you're considered a, a local. So you've been here 34 years from, from Israel. Yes, southern, sir. Central or Southern Israel? Yeah, I was born in a little town in between Tel Aviv and Haifa. Yep. It's, uh, next to Caesarea. It's beautiful there. Well, we're in a moment. We're going to hear from Uzi and the story of his sister who's... Uh, a house was attacked among obviously thousands of others and we'll get to tell um, some of that story one of the things that Patricia and I got to do Monday morning was interview uh, a mom whose son who's 21 years old uh, still being held hostage uh, for 100 and what would be now 138 days and you were generous with your time she, in the middle of working on a project and 7 a.m. we're interviewing. What, what was your takeaway from that? We're going to show a clip here in a moment, but it was hard for me. Like I, I, I was wrecked all day. You and I talked about this. We all have children. I have four sons in their 20s. And I, I just don't know how you get up every day knowing that your son is in the hands of these murderous terrorists and put one foot in front of the other. How do you brush your teeth in the morning? How do you, what do you do? Do you watch television? Do you, I mean, and what they are doing is they're being advocates and they're, they're speaking everywhere and they're trying to make sure, and this is what you do, I guess, you make sure no one has forgotten that your son is a hostage. And that's part of what we're all doing is to remind people that, this is on, an ongoing thing. And, you know, Darren, it was interesting because when October 7th happened, I thought, well, this, this could just get resolved and then maybe the world will just continue on. But it's not been resolved and it's getting worse and worse. And we're seeing terrible things. We're, we're seeing universities explode in anti-Semitism. We're seeing real Jew hatred in America, in our big cities, and we even in Nashville had these neo-Nazis come here and march. It, it, I don't know how anybody can ignore it. It's, it's, um, it's, it, it is a question of not just the Jewish people, but Western civilization. I think Barry Weiss put it really well in her speech to the Federalist Society. These, this is a bigger issue for what kind of world we want to live in, and we have to fight for it. Yeah, there's voices like Douglas Murray, Barry Weiss. Uh, and what's wild to me is that voices of people that we normally maybe wouldn't have even been in the same side of issues, Sam Harris, Bill Maher, like 
but we're all at least, it's like when you're seeking truth, uh, it's, you can actually all come to the same conclusion, whether you're a Christian or Jew or like, if you're going for truth. And this is so blatantly obvious. Uh, we say it here, but when you see paradox, that's often God. Like, did he choose me or did I choose him? Yes, it's a paradox. But when you see madness, that's Satan. And this is madness. It's absolute madness. There's no explanation why uh, normal people would justify uh, rape of women. Like the, the things that I saw while I was there the, and, and to see like that, it was just being overblown. Like, you know, part of me wants to punch her and then the other part wants to pray for her. And then somewhere in the middle, I still don't know what to do other than to just speak truth. It, it really is challenging to a Christian walk. If you're, if you're working on personal holiness, especially during Lent, uh, you know, I've, I've worked for years to clean up my language. and it's, it's been such a trial. Yeah, how's it going? Yeah, I'm doing okay. Yeah. I'm doing okay. We call it emergency <laughs> language here. So it's- Emergency yeah. language. Yeah. Patricia, one of the questions I had for you is, well, first of all, you're a fellow Buckeye, so thank you. Go O-H. I-O. Thank you. <laughs> I had to get that out of the way. But you live in Nashville now. I do. But you're from, or you obviously lived in L.A. for a while. Very progressive culture. Mm-hmm. What is the sentiment amongst your Jewish friends that are very involved, obviously, in media? How are they reconciling this amongst a very progressive and within a very progressive community? They are very, very shocked that the progressive community has turned on them. Either, either just left them or actually turned on them. It, it's shocking. And it is making strange bedfellows, as you said, Darren. So, um, and I've had people reach out to me who I didn't even know who are saying, thank you so much for standing up. And there are people that have really been, you know, technically, politically on the other side of the aisle than I am. And, and as you said, it's just, it's just making strange bedfellows now. And it's a good thing. It's a good thing to let go of any preconceived things and focusing, as you said, on truth, on what is truth and following that. And whoever truth brings you together with, then you just walk together with those people. That's what we've found. And I will say that there are more and more pastors speaking. What, what I've discovered, at least so far, is that Many, it wasn't that they didn't want to speak. They just didn't know what to say, you know? Yes, and this is, this is one of the questions I had. Nashville, I believe, has more churches per capita than any city in the country. And when October 7th happened, I, I guess I sort of expected Israeli flags to be flying in front of churches or posters of the hostages in front of churches or the sign on the front of a church saying, pray for Israel. And I didn't see anything and when I went to, I'm Catholic, when I went to Mass, the priest said during the prayers, let's pray for the Middle East. And I thought, well, can we be a little more specific than that? And, um, and I also thought, like, gosh, and I thought, why aren't they, like, as families are leaving, why aren't they handing out a picture of a hostage or a hostage family and telling that telling your parishioner, please pray for these hostages, you and your family. Like there's things you could do that are not political. And so that, that's why Elizabeth and I came together with this organization called O7C. It's October 7 Coalition to try to be the uniters and find ways for Christians and church leaders to support Israel um, and to support our Jewish community in Nashville, visibly and vocally, and to, to find out what the issues are in churches that they're dealing with that might hinder them from doing that and find ways to come together uh, with our Jewish community and support them in this time. So that's kind of what we're looking yeah. to do. Well, I'd love to play this clip. This is four minutes of a 45-minute interview that we did, and we'll at some point be able to maybe release it once we get permission from there of the families. But uh, who you're going to be seeing here is a mama named Orit, and that's her brother, uh, Avrahim, and the son's name is Almog, and he is the one that is still 
being held hostage. Now, my understanding, if I'm getting this right, Elizabeth, correct me if I'm wrong, that it's been uh, over two months since they've had a sign of life, right? An actual sign of life that he's even still alive. Uh, they believe he is, but they have not heard from him. But these were, this is just a moment where we were asking her questions about, um, you know, what do you want the world to know about your son? What do you want us to, what can we do? So this is just a quick four minutes of that interview. From on Saturday morning, Almog called me at a quarter to, to eight a.m. And he said to me, Mom, they closed the, the, the festival. There are rockets all over. And I hear bumps. I'm ID now. I don't know what is going on, but I'll call you every half an hour. And, and he said, Mom, I love you. And when he said, Mom, I love you, I understood, I understood that something uh, is wrong. And um, actually, it was uh, our last call. And when I, I look at the media, uh, I understood that uh, there was a, a terrorist uh, attack uh, in the south. And I understood that it, it was in his area. Uh, immediately, um, we published his uh, picture and uh, in the Facebook, and we asked who saw him. He went to Nova Festival, and um, I tried to call him in the WhatsApp and call him again, and they didn't answer. And after three hours, uh, we got um, we got from someone who recognized him a, a video clip. Uh, and in a video clip, I saw my son. He was lying on the floor with other four guys, young guys. He didn't know. Uh, some of them were tied uh, on their hands, uh, were beaten. And he, he covered his face with his hands. And he was, all of them were looking frightened. All of them. It, it, it's a shock. It's a big shock that you see that your son is uh... I can't understand. I can't even, even now. It's, 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 I, I can't even understand how it happened. And he's still there another 20, 30, 34 days, six, 134, six. 136 days. 36 days. And he was supposed to come back home. <laughs> wow. He was supposed to come back home. And, uh, and he didn't. And I want you to know that we are waiting for him. And my son has dreams. He has dreams. He wants to do lots of things. And, and now, he now is not free to do anything. And I want you to know that we want him back home as soon as possible. And I asked the cabinet of our country to sit together and, and to get a good deal to bring everyone, all of them back home as soon as possible. If by any chance he we're able to see you right now. What would you want Almo to know? What would you say to him? I'll say to him. Almo, we love you. And we are doing everything we can to bring you back. We won't stop till you come back. We miss you. Be strong. 
we believe it will finish and we'll come back home. Stay strong. We love you all. Mog is one of um, 132 hostages that are still, I think there were two released by one of the heroic rescues. Um, and so the hope, obviously, we want to continue to pray that all of them come home, right? That we can stand with them. And Uzi is joining us tonight. He, he lives here in Nashville, but his sister lives in uh, the southern... Kibbutzberry. So it's in the south. How close is it to, I don't know if you can see this, but Einabzor is where we were doing, is where we're working on the Gaza border there. Is it north or south of there? Can you tell? How far from the festival? It's, it's the same. Uh, it's right there. The forest belongs to this kibbutz. Okay. So we stood there just a month ago. Yes. And Ein Zora is just down the street from there. That's where we were. Uh, you, your phone goes off. It's FaceTime. It's your sister. So, first of all, I'm honored to be here. I'm really thankful for this event. It's very flattering to know how much people in here are so close to Israel. And uh, it's, uh, so I will tell the story about what's happening this uh, terrible Saturday. So I woke up in the morning, 6.30 or so, and I see 371 messages on the family WhatsApp. I say, oh no, somebody died, what's happened? And at the meantime, my sister was in the safe room with her husband and the dog for 17 hours, locked up, when the terrorist was actually burning down the house and all of their furniture. And um, we were alive speaking to each other. Was, uh, her husband with a gun pointing at the door. And uh, you start getting like the news, like a lot of hundreds getting killed and that's climbed up to 1400. And at the meanwhile, meantime, uh, my nieces were in another safe room and she was about to deliver a baby. When the terrorist burned three of three houses next to her, and then they entered to their houses and tried to get her and the kids. Uh, my sister's kibbutz lost 92 people, some babies, uh, some teenagers, uh, elderly people in a wheelchair, uh, which they survived the Holocaust, but they didn't survive this Holocaust. Um was just a very tense time. Uh, I couldn't sleep for nights, just thinking like, I've been told before I came here not to be too graphic, but then... It's okay. Um, just thinking about, why would you put a baby in the oven? Uh, how satanic is that? And um, just thinking like, I knew before October 7 who we, we were dealing with because I was uh, in the army. I was in Airborne. I served in the Israeli army from 1982 to 1985. And I happened to be in Beirut and in the Gaza and in many other unfound places. Uh, so I knew the type of culture, what we're dealing with. Um, 
It's funny because as an Israeli, we're growing up, they're teaching us about songs of peace, go for the peace and try for the peace and communicate for the peace and respect, you know. And it's just, we were lost, we naive. Lots of us spoke in another church situation and the guys still were asking me, who's the one question? What's happened to the Israeli army? It's so strong. I say, we fell asleep. We just fell asleep. We were too naive. And I asked him, I happened to be here on 9-11, and we fell asleep back then too, as an American. And uh, it's kind of like leading to the two points of we fell asleep in all of this situation, and we just... They didn't prepare for this mentally. Um, so, and so uh, how are your, how is your sister now? What's, so I have this... two, I have three sisters and two of them from the north living up right in the border of Lebanon. So they evacuated, they haven't been in their house for like four months. And uh, my youngest sister, she is in, next to Beersheba. Uh, she's evacuated also from her kibbutz because they burned her house. And um, we'll take some time to, you know, to renovate it. But uh, when we're looking like it, you're renovating material rather than renovating your soul, going to be some big gap uh, because we were talking about hostages just a second ago I had this conversation with my wife and we were saying even if they come out how much injured they are mentally from this situation and what they experienced there uh, because we're dealing of, uh, we say animals at the time, but it's, uh, it was worse than animals because I've been explained animals, when they're going to kill, it's because they're hungry. But people, what they're doing, this just for the fun and laughing at girls and when they're taking their heads off, that's worse than animals. And... Um, Living in America and looking like at all of the protesters downtown and chanting all of the slogans. And it's, there's no backing for this because if you backing up a terrorist organization, that's no, that's, that doesn't work for me. I mean, I wish to sit down with you. I, can sp I speak Arabic fluently. I speak three languages fluently. Hebrew, Arabic, and English, I can speak to them. We can eat hummus at the same plate. But we don't have a partner, unfortunately. We don't have any... And it's not just the leaders, it's the ideology. Yeah. Uzi, you said that your niece was giving birth at this time, um, which makes you great Uncle Uzi, by the way. How is she? And, and, and share the name. Uh, so I was telling Mo, uh, Pastor Mo earlier, he was asking me about my niece, Neta. Uh, she gave a birth to a beautiful girl, and her name is uh, Shaya. And Shaya is the female version to Shai, which in Hebrew means gift. So she's a beautiful little uh, blonde child. <laughs> so, wow. Patty, what questions do you have for Uzi? Um, how do you see this going forward? How do you, do you see in your mind a solution to what seems like an impossible situation? Um, to come and eradicate ideology, it's going to be very tough because it's not just Hamas, it's also the people who supported for Hamas and voted for Hamas, and that's the population over there. Not only there, also in the West Bank. Um, I 
unfortunately, and I hate to say this to my good 60 years of living, there's no solution. I wish, I pray, I still continue to pray. Uh, if I meet an Arab person and I can communicate with him in Arabic, that will happen. But it's, it's, it's very tough. It's, uh, there's no one to deal with. No one to partner with. And, and I know in many of the kibbutzes, there, the, the whole sort of ethos of that was peace. And we were trying to create peace with our neighbors, with our Palestinian neighbors. There's a famous story of one woman who used to drive Pal sick Palestinian people, children, to hospitals in Israel to make sure they got treatment. She was killed. Ashkelon. Yes, yeah, she was taken hostage first, and then they killed her as they passed the border. Um, and so how does a person who's lived their whole life believing that if, and how do, how do we all deal with this? That believing that we need to love our enemies and to show them love and to show them grace and to have that come back at you in the way that it has come back, what do we do with that? So um, we were, on the way to here, I was communicating with my wife about something and I told her, the word coexisting is so large and so ununderstood coexisting. And why I can communicate lovely with Mr. Pesto, Darren and Mo, and I told, hey, you guys are super cool. And, and why? I don't know, my why? kids might disagree <laughs> with that. But, <laughs> but uh, the point is um, when when I've read the Quran and understood it to the detail, because I wanted to see why they hate me. What did, what did I do wrong? What the child one year old did to you, you hate him to take him up as a hostage or kill him. And um, I'll tell a little story when I was a soldier uh, we were in patrol in Lebanon, very close to Beirut, and we saw on top of the hill a little bassinet. And inside this bassinet, the Palestinian terrorists at the time put a real live baby in the bassinet. Officer and two more soldiers going with him, and uh, it was a bomb along with the baby. So my research and studying about like, why you worship death when we say lechaim for life all the time, and you guys, why? And I asked that some of my Muslim uh, people, what I know, why, why you guys, why the Quran teaching you about death? Why that's so important for you? to die versus to live. And um, that's what they teach them. That's what they get brainwashed with, unfortunately. Yeah, the, the challenge in Islam in general um, is, so for instance, I, I know that the Jewish people have a, a complicated relationship in history with people who claimed to be Christians. And you would be hard pressed, in fact, it's impossible to take the teachings of Jesus, overlay them with the Crusades, with the Inquisitions, or, or even at the end of Martin Luther's life. Like it's impossible to say that the teachings of Jesus endorse any of those things that happened. On the other hand, uh, I have a friend in uh, North Africa who has become a Christian after being a Muslim for his whole life. And he said, the deeper I went into Islam, the more I realized, in fact, he actually told me the only way out of Islam is deeper into Islam. And what he said was, I came to the, to the bottom of Islam and thought, I'm either going to have to be a terrorist or I need to find a different life and different. And he ultimately put his trust in Jesus at that point. Um, and there are many uh, Arabs, that this is not an identity thing. This is an Islamic jihadist cult. 
And you're right, when it comes to Gaza, there's the question of maybe 40% of the people voted for Hamas, but 70% in the most recent poll said they support, they don't support Hamas, but they support what happened on October 7th. 70%. That's a remarkable number to say that that is. And, and again, you go back to the, the Quran. You've read it. I've read it. We spend a lot of time. In fact, that wall right out there, Uzi, is full of photographs of slaves that our church has set free, but they're in a, uh, in, uh, how do you say a, I can't say the country, a, a South Asia, let's just say that, a country where there are one million Christians right now living in active slavery today. So when we talk about what would we do, right, if we were in Germany, and then you go back a few more, a hundred years, and say, what would we do if, if we were time when the slave trade was alive? And the answer is, there are more slaves alive today, right now, than there were in the entirety of the European slave trade. And 90% to 95% live in Islamic countries because the Quran actually supports that. It's not against their religion. Like that actually is supported by it. And so if you are a Muslim, you have a real problem you're going to have to figure out, which is if I'm going to continue to follow Allah, what do I do with the radical and, and there's an argument to be made, and many are making it, that it isn't actually, this is what Douglas Murray would say, this isn't radical Islam, this is just Islam. And the question is, what do we do with that? Now, I know what we've done, which is, as, as followers of Jesus, you can't bomb an ideology out of somebody. It's like a, a hornet's nest. It just makes more hornets. We've seen it. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't defend ourselves. And I get furious when I hear people talking about uh, calling for Israel for a ceasefire, and, and none of these, um, gosh, I was going to use a bad word, none of these people, because <laughs> we're broadcasting. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. I don't remember any of them calling for us to do a ceasefire with ISIS, right, seven to ten years ago. Nobody was calling for that there. And so for some reason, it's okay for us to, to, to fight against Boko Haram, it's okay for us to fight against ISIS or any one of these radicals, but for some reason Hamas has now become this political organization and it's absolute insanity with us. And, and I do want to say this in case, especially I know I have some Jewish friends in here tonight and Jewish friends are listening to this. Um, what happened in the history and in the name of Jesus is not the spirit or the teachings of Jesus. It's just not. They were... Uh, demonic versions of it. They were twisted things that, were, that happened to your people on, in the name of Christianity, and Jesus is nowhere near that. And so when I look to, like, our job as a church, we're going to talk about in a minute what we get to do as a church. Uh, but we believe in the Bible, and we believe Romans 9, we believe Romans 10, and we believe Romans 11, that God is not done with the Jewish people. There was a, a theology that was started towards the end of Martin Luther's life, the, the last of his writings, and it's called replacement theology, which was that God is done with the Jewish people and the Christians have replaced the Jewish people. Okay. Now, I don't know how I've had conversations. The only way really to do that is to ignore much of Scripture, including Romans 11. Uh, we don't believe that here. We believe that that theology is damnable, and that is what has led to things like the Holocaust that was... Uh, why uh, uh, Hitler was even using teachings from replacement theology with it, but it's just not the teachings of Jesus. And I'm not, this is not me trying to convert anybody. I just want to be clear that what we have uh, with our Jewish brothers and sisters, Paul says, we are grafted into you. You are not grafted into us. Um, we're talking about Hitler. So in Gaza, have been found several books of the men camp that's calling for uh, exterminate all Jews. So here you go. We don't need to bring evidence how uh, these people were thinking like kill all of the Jews from in Israel or all over the world. Um, me personally feel very close as Jewish person to the Christian religion, and I explain why. Several reasons. First of all, my wife didn't come from Judaism. She came from Christianity. So we live in a marriage. We celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Hanukkah. 
We live in both worlds. Um, but we won't talk about religion. Yeah. We will talk about like how, and you ask me a question, how, what we, where are we going from here? What's the, the day after the war? What will happen with Gaza? Um, I feel, you know, like kids, when I see kids, even when I see like on some feeds, what's popping up on me, kids from Gaza starving, that's sad for me also. I mean, I'm, I'm saying, those kids, what did they do wrong? Because they happened to be born to these parents. Same like, will be like a child, what is both parents narcotic? That's not the poor child's fault to be brought up to this world. Um, I'm lost. I believe it was actually today that the um, the UN proposed another ceasefire with um, pretty ridiculous, you know, restrictions to that. That the uh, the US and Israel both politely declined. <laughs> yeah, we will do ceasefire. Bring my hostages back. You want to talk? Let's sit down on the table and talk. Don't shoot at me a rocket and expect me not to retaliate. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but don't, you can't come up and shoot rockets and think that the Israelis are not going to sit down quietly and say, oh, okay, um, I live in here in the United States. Can you imagine if Mexico decided all of a sudden to start shooting at us? Would I retaliate likely? 100%. Yeah, I mean, if Alabama started firing on us, right, you know what I mean? We're going at it. Like we, um, and that was what we experienced in Gaza area was. Uh, uh, right on the border, the, every playground was bomb shelters. Like every piece of equipment for kids to play on doubled as bomb shelters because they only have 15 seconds, right? And this was before October 7th that they lived this way. I brought home a piece of shrapnel. Somehow I managed to get it through security um, from a bomb that had fallen on a playground, and I didn't want to forget that, and so it's sitting on my shelf as a reminder of the, the, the vile and the wickedness of it and what we have in front of us uh, as far as our future. And, uh, and I think that what we have to know in the West is that when it comes to Islamic jihadism, the death cult, uh, West Africa, East Africa, Dearborn, Michigan, like the idea is not just to destroy Israel as a nation, it is. But that's not the stopping point. That's why well, the Ayatollah in Iran refers to us as the big Satan and Israel as the little Satan. Um, sometimes when you wonder what your enemy wants, you just need to ask them. And I know that most secular minds especially just can't possibly get it in their minds that this is what they really want, which is an Islamic caliphate, a rule of, of the world uh, from Islam. And again, maybe not every Muslim in the world. Okay, there's 1.8 billion Muslims, and I'm positive not all of them feel that way. But when you look at the map and think, okay, is, is, is Israel, are they really the bullies in this situation? Right. Do you know what I mean? And this is just in their area. That obviously doesn't include even Turkey, which has had some fairly strong opinions lately. Who's the bully? Like to say that Israel is the bully, if you're looking really close up on it with a microscope, eh, could, you can make an argument. But when you pull it back and realize... You know, every country listed here, these are Islamic countries that uh, many of them, if not all of them, had people in the streets celebrating what happened on October 7th. So when you're looking, who's the bully? The little red nation, that's Israel. Uh, and inside of that, you guys are still sharing, obviously, West Bank and, and Gaza, and there's, there's complexities there. I understand that. But the, the big picture is this, these are the bullies, and the world is surrounding you right now, and in, in the Christian faith, we have eschatology around this and what, what's happening. And what, but the best part of the eschatology of Christianity is that Jesus, if he you know, returns, and I love my friend Zev Orenstein, we talk about this, we'll know who the real Messiah is because we'll ask him, is this your first time? And, but one thing is that even in the Christian faith, the actual Jesus who was born in Israel, raised in Israel, ministry in Israel, crucified in Israel, resurrected in Israel, is coming back to Israel, putting his mountain foot on the mountain in Israel. God is not done with the Jewish people. He made a promise to Abraham 
Not because Abraham was awesome, because he loved him and he made a choice and a promise. And one of the things we say here is that if God would break his promise to Abraham, how could I trust that he would keep his promise to me? Right? If it's true for the Jew, it's true for you. And that sounds like a bumper sticker theology, and it might be. But if we truly believe that God keeps his promises, then we've got to believe that he's keeping his promises to Abraham as well with that. Um, one of the things we want to talk about is the future, okay? Uh, and to do that, I want to show you first a video that, uh, that sort of sets it up. And then, Patricia, I want to ask you about the October 7th coalition. You reached out, or Elizabeth, somebody reached out uh, a while back, and I'm just like, I'm all in. And not just because Papa Don Finto is in, although that was a pretty big selling point. Uh, I, I just felt like, oh, there's somebody else out there. Because at that moment, I was getting lots of emails, uh, of course, lots of social media comments. And so it, it, it felt less uh, lonely. And then it also felt like, okay, but here's something we can do in Nashville here, like right in our own city, in our own region for here. Uh, before we do that, I want to show you this. This is, uh, was just edited by uh, Caleb uh, this afternoon. So I want to show you this and then we'll go. October 7th, 2023, marks one of the darkest days in the history of Israel. The worst terror attack in Israeli history. Hamas terrorists crossed the border into Israel to unleash horrors on innocent people. No one was spared. The elderly, infants, young adults with life ahead of them, parents with young children. They were all tortured, murdered, Many were raped and disfigured. When the dust settled, over 1,500 people were killed. Hundreds were kidnapped and remain as hostages in Gaza. These innocent hostages are used as literal human shields by Hamas, tortured and herded underground in the miles of tunnels built intentionally under schools and hospitals. From every direction, Israel is being attacked. From the physical attacks in the north, to the political attacks from overseas, to the online propaganda campaigns. Israel stands alone. I have made you, and I will carry you. I will sustain you, and I will rescue you. What is our role? What are we called to do in the face of such evil? Do we act as the churches in Nazi Germany by turning the music up so we can drown out the sounds of the trains on their way to the concentration camps? Or is this our moment to stand against evil like Dietrich Bonhoeffer? It might cost us our reputations. It might cost us our careers. It might even cost us our lives. But this is our Bonhoeffer moment. This is our time to raise our voices. This is our time to stand in solidarity with Israel and against evil. The gates of hell will not prevail. This is an offense statement. This is a call to the action of the church. We will come to the aid of our brothers and sisters. We will courageously lock arms in unity and strength. We will plant seeds that will grow into new relationships. Whatever comes, make no mistake, we will stand. And together, we will win this war against evil for our children and for our children's children. The enemy comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Yet we, as God's people, we will stand against this evil. We mean it, Uzi. We mean it. I'm a, a joke, but it's, I guess it's kind of funny, but it's not really. I mean, I grew up just super white trash and we're scrappy and we don't like bullies even a little bit. And as a church, uh, Jesus used the language of a shepherd when he spoke of a church. And I used to, every Nazarene church that seemed in America had a little picture. I don't know if Demister, if you ever remember these in your uh, missionary line church, but a little picture of Jesus with this, uh, it's real saccharine. He's got a little lamb and it's very cute. And then I met Bedouin shepherds and thought, oh no, that's what Jesus meant. He was talking about shepherds, not like middle Tennessee pasture candy sheep. Like, you know what I mean? 
And I say that having had pasture candy, like we had the sheep. These guys were uh, and are tough. Like they protect their sheep. And that's what God has called us to do. And there are many courageous pastors in this country that are doing it. Jack Hibbs, Rob McCoy. I mean, I could go on. I wish there were more. Um, but we can't wait for them to catch up. And, you know, Patricia, you guys have had this idea that really spoke to me about creating something to say to our Jewish brothers and sisters. We're here for you. You're safe here. Tell us about October 7th coalition, the idea of it, what you want from churches, what you want from us as far as conduit church. So we really were sincerely asking the question to, to pastors, um, why are we not seeing and hearing more, and what can we do to help facilitate that for you if there's things standing in your way? And uh, Elizabeth organized um, a luncheon, and we did have 80 pastors come, and we had... Um, you know, a Palestinian Christian and Israeli Christian, Pastor Don Finto, who has spent his whole life um, in um, reaching out to the Jewish people and supporting the Jewish people, and myself talking about how I came to this. And what we're doing is um, organizing opportunities for churches to educate their own community. We have speakers that can come and speak to your church to talk about anti-Semitism. I'm doing a lot of reading up on anti-Semitism uh, in, in the church throughout history. Um, and we can talk about how that manifests, how you can, where you can see it, how you can identify it, and what you can do about it. We're organizing outreach uh, events to get together, to just get to know each other. We're, we're very sort of ghettoized of like even... You know, amongst Christian churches, everybody has their little fiefdom, and we need to get all us, all of our churches, Christian churches, together, and then we need to really spend time with our Jewish neighbors and get to know each other and get to know all, all their different. There's a lot of different kinds of Jewish people, religious, non-religious. You know, the culture, how it manifests here, how it manifests with Israelis. It's very, you know, it's like all of us. There's, it's. There's a wide spectrum of how it represents and manifests. And we need to all come together as one. We want to make Nashville the safest place for Jews to live in the United States. That's what we want. And we're looking to organize other activities. There's an, um, a, something brewing now that is involved with music and Israeli musicians that we are not quite ready to announce yet, but that's going to be happening very soon. Um, we are, are do, can I talk about the screening? Um, we're we're, we're uh, doing a screening of the Hamas footage with the Israeli consulate so that pastors in Nashville can really, really see what happened. And it's hard to watch, but, you know, as a Catholic, we were brought up that life was going to be about suffering and we are to participate in the suffering of others. And we have to be a witness to that. We have to be a witness to other people's suffering. And sometimes that means really taking on something that's difficult to take on. And I know watching that, those, that footage is going to be tough. But so we are looking for ways to connect with various churches. We are going to be looking for a liaison in each church because we know all the pastors are very, very busy and nobody needs, no pastor needs another thing on their plate. But if we could have a O7C liaison in every church, we could communicate with that person and say, we're going to have a rally for the hostages this Saturday on Broadway. And we'd like you to put that word out and every, have everybody show up. And there's things like that that we can do. So that is going to be one of the things we're we're working on to get all the churches involved without uh, overburdening people who already have a lot on their plate. And I just think it'll make, you know, Nashville, I have found, having been here for a few years now, the hospitality is off the charts. It really is one of the loveliest places uh, that I've ever been. And I think we just need to extend that out and, and e even more 
for Jews and Christians to come together with that kind of hospitality because the Jewish people are always also extremely hospitable and let's just put our superpowers together and um, make this just the most blessed place to be. You know, I had a really wild experience because we were, we did that uh, lunch and I met a couple of people like Rabbi Saul and, and we got to the airport in Tel Aviv getting ready to leave and it's chaos, you know, cause there's, it's understaffed and it's what's well, an airport. Um, and I get in line, literally, uh, Caleb's with me and a couple others. And the guy in front of me is clearly not from Israel. And he just sounds like just enough of a redneck to me, for me to ask him where he's from. He says, oh, I'm from Nashville. And I mean, I then learned that then that's Rabbi Saul Rabbi literally got in line right with the rabbis that were there doing a, a trip as well uh, from Nashville. So it was a beautiful, uh, someone once said that coincidence is when God chooses to remain anonymous. And I feel like that was just a, what we call a God incidence. Like, oh, there we are. That's, this is just a, nod, a God nod that we're doing what we're supposed to be doing here. This QR code, if you want to take a moment right now, you can get, uh, it'll take you to the website. I would encourage you to sign up so that when, so for instance, when these uh, knucklehead Nazis showed up in the U-Haul truck on uh, Saturday, to be able to, to deploy quickly, to say, we want some people down there. Uh, and, the, and the way to do that is to, to get a database of some people that are ready to go. And so this is one way to get, you'll be able to be notified as to what's, uh, what opportunities we have uh, what we can do in those moments to just be visible. You know, it's, it's uh, maddening to see a group of uh, ne like just straight-up Nazis and no response to that. And that's not anybody's fault necessarily. Nobody, to my knowledge, knew they were coming. And, but I do know that as Jesus people, that's one place that I know we could be visible. But that's where we can come along. And as a church family uh, my, my hope is that our church, Conduit Church, uh, will be a part of those opportunities. So please take that chance to, uh, to, to do that. Um, Patricia, is there anything else that you want from local churches? Like when you think... I think uh, um, signing up on the website um, and giving us your information so that we can reach out to you and start um, getting everybody involved is, is just great. It's... Um, yeah, that's really it. Just really. Okay. <clears throat> well, I'll say this for our church family, uh, if you're local or if, if you're not for that matter. Um, we have set up a fund that uh, is 100% of it is going to Israel. And right now, we have been financing 100 families who live in hotels in Elat because they can't go back. Uh, the Israeli government, like a lot of governments in war, they're, you know, they're just scrambling for money. And so there's um, families living in hotels with no income, they can't work. So we've been, uh, I think it's 100 families at $500 a month that we've been supporting uh, until they can go home. We, I'm so proud of my church family. And one day you all raised $250,000 for that. I'm just blown away. Um, we would love to be able to bless Amog's family as well and some of the families of that are still there. So if the Lord had put it on your heart, um, on our Conduit Church website. There's a donate button and a drop down that says Israel. I think it's the second or third one. It's pretty high up, so it's easy to find. Just know 100% of that is gonna go to help our brothers and sisters. Um, and we will be returning. We're gonna get to go back again. Uh, it's, it's wild having been there on tours. Like, I mean, I should just go with Christy McClellan who's with us tonight, thank you being here that's why my mine are so much cheaper because they're getting what they pay for if they go with christy you know um but it's a beautiful experience to be able to go now not just as a tourist as a biblical pilgrimage we will do those we've got one on the books for february 2025 and i'm just believing that we can still do that uh, but in the meantime you have an opportunity to love some families directly and you know, I've talked with our friend, uh, you know, Yuri Steinberg in uh, in Tel Aviv, and the idea of even we maybe we could get some pictures of those families to put next to our slave families because they're the same 
we want them free as well. We want them to know that they're loved and that they're seen. So if the Lord puts it on your heart, know that we will 100% pass it through. Uh, we've been able to purchase um, military equipment, uh, protective vests, helmets, uh, just to help IDF soldiers. If it's, it's strange for us in a war situation because we don't really think about the fact that when things are moving quickly and they're deploying, yeah, I don't know what the percentage, uh, Uzi, you might know, but the percentage are the, of, of IDF that are reservists that got called up, it's a pretty high percentage. So these are like young men that were just, they were working at, you know, McDonald's and now they're fighting. They didn't get the equipment fast. Just imagine if we're close to 400,000 what got deployed. Uh, what's hard in the situation, it's like everybody either own a business or so lots of businesses got shut down because they had to go and serve. But um, the difference between like an Israeli soldiers to an American soldiers, for instance, we don't get paid to protect our country. We got to do it. Otherwise, we won't be alive. Uh, we don't get paycheck. We got to go. We got to serve. Yeah. And it's called the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, not the IAF, the Israeli, Israeli Attack Force. You guys are there to defend yourself. So. We have opportunities as well to continue to provide some equipment for some of, of your brothers and sisters who are, who are fighting. And so as a church, just know if that's an option. And if you're a, a check writing person, uh, there's two little boxes in the back. They're safe and we'll make sure that whatever it is, 100% of that will be sent and will be sent within a week and it'll be in the hands of the people that need it. Thank you guys for being here. Thank you so much for spending time with us. We wanted to end the evening with prayer by praying over uh, the situation. We wanted to invite our good friend, um, Alex Matala, if he would join us, Alex. If he would pray with us, all the way from Uganda, who's visiting yeah. this week. This is a special moment because I remember the first time I landed in Uganda at the Entebbe Airport, the jet that was hijacked back in the 70s, so at that point was still just sitting out on the runway. 76. 76. So by 2007... I'm landing in Uganda, and there's the LLF plane just sitting there still. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know if it's still there, but something uh, Alex is really, I should put this map up one more time, but Ainabzor uh, is the, the kibbutz that we have uh, taken on as our partner in our project. We're helping to build a, a center there for them. And, and I learned from my Hebrew friend that the word absor, and you can correct me, or, uh, oh, yeah. He, well, he said, I absorb where we were. He said there was a word he used that meant gospel. Where David and his men were hiding that mountain we were standing on. Christy, help me if I'm wrong on this. But he said this means, and this was Yuri Steinberg saying this. And I wasn't going to tell you unless you came to Israel. And now you're in Israel. And we're standing next to Ein absorb. But this one word he said meant gospel overlooking this little village. And I thought that's such a perfect picture for us. Because gospel, you know, in, in the Christian sense, is, it just means good news. So we get to bring good news to Israel. And that is what Alex, Alex is 72 years young. We've partnered together in Africa for many, 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 many years. They have also had to stand against uh, radical jihadism. Um, and I love it because he does it with a smile on his face. And uh, so, Alex, would you pray for us as a church, pray for our friends here, just however the Lord would lead you. May I ask all of us to stand up and Glory to God. Come into the middle so that we can see you. You're going to disappear. Father, I want to thank you for this opportunity that you have given us tonight to be together with our friends, your people, the people of Israel. We are here today celebrating your love and goodness because of them. Lord, we thank you because we know you will protect Israel as you promised. We pray to you every morning asking you to bless, to keep, and to sustain Israel. And you'll do it. You told Abraham that whosoever blesses you, whosoever blesses you shall be 
all of us here, we need that kind of blessing. So now, we bless Israel. We bless you, Israel, as a nation. We prophesy that you will defeat your enemies by the power of God. We prophesy that God is on your side. We prophesy that you are the nation of God, the nation of promise. Father, we thank you and we pray that you bless your people as they go home, that you bless all the people who bless Israel as you blessed. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.